Ashy 2.0 listeners. I'm Jackie. And I'm Ramona. And we are bringing you one eye-opening episode on the She 2.0 podcast. We had a special guest, Dr. Christy Prouse, who is the Chief Medical Officer of the Institute for Hormonal Health. Ramona, what did you think about our chat tonight? Um, Mind-blowing. We learned so much. I almost don't want to do any spoilers right now, other than to say we did a test we thought we did really well because we checked a lot of boxes, but yeah. all our boxes were bad boxes. <laughs> and Dr. Prouse walks us through and we learn a lot about cortisol. So and cortisol is a major culprit in perimenopause. And there's some really good news during this episode, but you're going to want to tune in because those hot flashes, that brain fog, that feeling tired, that waking up in the middle of the night, well, it's not just your hormones. Have a listen to Dr. Prouse. So Jack and I talk a lot about hormone health, the effects of menopause with our hormones, and I feel like it's a subject that no matter how many times we talk about it, there's still much more to unpack, and our listeners ask a lot of questions too. So we're really happy to have you here, Dr. Prouse, to help us navigate hormone health today. Oh yeah, I'm really excited. This is uh, certainly my passion, and so I always enjoy a good conversation around hormones. <laughs> nice. That's great because we have a million questions for you around hormones because they can be so tricky and confusing. We do talk about them a lot, but I would say that even at this juncture, my understanding is still somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, they are very complicated. There's no question about that. It's one of those areas where other people either dive, uh, you know, both both feed in or they um, shy away from it altogether. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into that dive, could you tell us a little bit about the Institute of Hormonal Health for our listeners who don't know what it is? Because it is unique in the way that you treat patients. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we actually go back in time, um, you know, more than 10 years ago now, uh, I myself was really struggling with uh, what I now know to be a hormonal issue that so many struggle with. And basically that is um, a burnout is, is what we call it, right? But it's actually an underlying hormonal condition. And so, so in my own sort of personal journey and coming to the understanding of how there were gaps in the conventional medical model to address what I was experiencing, um, I, I really started to appreciate, hey, you know what, I'm not going to be the only one that is struggling here. And so with my newfound knowledge and with feeling better, I decided that, you know what, no, I'm, I'm going to change directions here and I'm going to take a um, pretty substantial leap and start practicing in a way um, that is a little bit different than the conventional model. Um, it's functional medicine, which really looks at things more from a holistic um, and integrative approach uh, to medicine. And I've always had an interest in hormones. Um, it's just now hormones to me isn't just hormones, it goes far beyond that. And it captures the gastrointestinal tract and brain neurotransmitters and, you know, far beyond what um, my gynecologic uh, training would have captured. So I, uh, yeah, opened up the Institute for Hormonal Health back in 2011. And so we are 
you know, basically 10 years into this and have impacted um, women in a way that I probably never would have um, in my conventional career. And it's been such a blessing for me. And uh, yeah, just really quite a rewarding um, type and, and approach to medicine for sure. Well, we are I very love that. thankful <laughs> that you are doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that one. Um, it kind of came out from a personal experience of yours and now you're helping so many other people and what's unique about your journey is you know a lot of the time as a patient you feel like you're constantly straddling the line between holistic therapies and western therapies like we you know myself being a cancer survivor i you know appreciated you know western medicine saving my life but I needed holistic therapies to help kind of put me back together again in some ways. Mm -hmm. So I love that there's somewhere out there and particularly around the hormone side of things where, you know, we'll be talking about in more depth, but knowing that there's a place out there that I can go to that's trying to balance those mm -hmm. two, um, you know, healing or ways of healing people. Um, I think is just like fantastic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a fun blend. And, and uh, you know, the work that I do now has allowed me to work with other um, practitioners from various areas, whether it be traditional Chinese medicine or uh, naturopathic medicine. And uh, wow, you know, what impact you can have for somebody when you put a bunch of different modalities, a bunch of different ways of looking at things and, and apply it to the same problem. And yeah, thankfully, we, we get um, some really good results. Yeah, mm -hmm. I bet you do. Mm -hmm. So from what I understand, you have some questions that you want to ask us that's going to kind of help, like, <laughs> inform our podcast tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's just some questions that I think, um, you know, really important for anybody to answer. Um, and often people are quite surprised because we tend to normalize some of these symptoms. So I'll go through the list. And if you want to um, keep tally uh, of okay. the number that you answer positively to, okay. and then I'll, uh, I'll interpret it for you at the end. But basically, you want to ask yourself if you've been experiencing any difficulty waking up in the morning, if you have an afternoon low, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> an afternoon yes. low between 3 and 4 p.m. Check. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> Do you awaken between 2 and 4 a.m.? Oh, my God, yeah. Who doesn't? I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. don't. Oh, come on. What's wrong with you? I sleep very well. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're kicked out of the podcast. I'm going to put right. 10, <laughs> 10 points for that one. <laughs> okay. Continuing fatigue that is not relieved by sleep? Like during yes. the day or like yeah. just in general, like this general? Yeah. Even if you had a good night's sleep, are you? Oh, crap. Okay. I don't yeah. like where this is going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Do you have a need for caffeine to perk up? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> 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 Cravings for salt or salty foods? Yes. No. Do sweet foods count? No. Yeah. Uh, no, that actually can sometimes mean something different. Oh. Okay. That I'm what I'm after in this. Okay. Uh, do you ever find that you're lightheaded when you stand up quickly? No. no, no, no. Good. Okay. That's good. Yeah. What about mild depression? Mm. Max, mild. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I think gotta... so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And uh, worsening PMS, if that applies. So is this no. um, talking to uh, perimenopause? Because I'm postmenopausal. Mm-hmm. So I obviously don't have PMS unless it's postmenopausal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, all of these questions apply whether you're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, unless, of course, they're related to your period. PMS, so that's yeah. basically the one question. So you can sort of have PMS symptoms when you're post. Can you? Um, it presents in a different way. We wouldn't typically call it um, PMS because right. it's not it doesn't make sense. Cycle. But yeah, but a lot of the symptoms will overlap and it just presents in a slightly different. That's um, so funny because no one's ever said that to me before. And I've never told anyone, I think I have phantom limb PMS, but I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll often tell you some version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are your thoughts less focused, foggy or fuzzy? Oh my God. And yes. for that one. Yeah. yeah. And how about decreased tolerance of others? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing yeah. how many idiots there are out there? <laughs> I don't know if that has anything to do with my hormones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. always wrong. It's so annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And how about um, decreased ability to handle stress? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yeah, for yeah, sure. A, yeah. Um, decreased sex drive. Oh, yes. So yeah. we need to answer that question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and then how about an increased time to recover from illness or injury? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's probably a question mark for me. Yeah. You have to have but, a good injury to really answer that one. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Or even cuts yeah. that are longer to heal yeah, or yeah. respiratory tract yeah. infections that hang on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Luckily, okay. since you you never leave your house lately, I'm not exposed <laughs> to many accidents or right. yeah. well, <laughs> I did fall down the stairs <laughs> during a pandemic and broke my foot. So, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> All right. So okay. how did we do? Okay. So if you answered three or more. Oh, cool. positively, <laughs> and not only do you have cortisol dysregulation or adrenal fatigue, but an advanced. <gasps> advanced. Oh my god. Okay, okay, so I got eleven. I think I'm hopeless. <laughs> I oh got eleven god. as well. Did you? Okay. So, <laughs> oh um, no! Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really surprising. Yeah. And so all of those questions, the, the questions that, that I was asking there are all around cortisol. So cortisol is our stress hormone. Mm-hmm. It's meant to help us manage with our stress. The problem is the system can be on overload. And whether that is um, emotional and psychological stressors are you know, often a, a big part of people's story, but it's also the physical stressors. So infections, inflammation, food mm-hmm. sensitivities, environmental toxins, all of those things call on cortisol, our stress hormone, um, to combat it. So it's really no surprise in this day and age why so many of us, um, you know, going a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Right. Um, and for that matter, you know, carrying forward our stress, um, on the emotional side of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then just the, the environmental exposures that we get in this day and age. So it's not uncommon. And it's yeah. So a foundational hormone too. So if we don't get cortisol, Mm-hmm. figured out, then we really do um, have a challenge and chase your tail with all the other hormones, whether they're perimenopausal hormones or postmenopausal um, picture, thyroid, um, or other systems like the gastrointestinal tract. 
brain right. neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. So with, so if you have an increase in cortisol, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's tied to perimenopause or menopause. However, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's, it's the decrease in progesterone when you are menopausal that helps increase your cortisol. So there is a connection between increased cortisol and perimenopause and menopause, but it also could be completely unrelated. C correct. Yeah. So for our younger listeners, who that's right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And it's actually shocking, um, really to see the kids that come in through my, um, practice. I don't necessarily focus on kids. Um, yeah. but we do see it. And certainly into our twenties, we're already starting to see a pattern where kids are on absolute overload. And interestingly enough, um, any hormone wants to be within the normal range. So you can overshoot cortisol, you can, um, under, underproduce and it can cause very similar symptoms and so really i mean you're just looking for a natural rhythm of that cortisol um, throughout the day but what it does do when it's dysregulated is it does impact on other hormones so it aggravates widens any imbalances in the perimenopausal time frame it will um, decrease postmenopausal hormones even lower than what they need to be um, so yeah it can show up at really at any stage in our life, but it generally, as a rule, it just undermines and aggravates um, any pre-existing hormonal imbalance and or can create a hormonal imbalance that wouldn't have existed before. I think aggravate is the key word here because mm -hmm. that's like how you feel most, well, how I feel mm -hmm. most of the mm -hmm. time. And can you, um, can you just explain what you mean by environmental factors? Yeah, so the, the big ones are um, things like uh, pesticides on our food, uh, it, can be, mm -hmm. right? it can be the electromagnetic radiation that we're getting from our computers and our cell phones. Yes. Right. It can be sure. plastic in our drinking um, bottles. It can be, you know, some of the toxins that are in our makeup. Um, so we get it from um, varying sources and there are ways to limit our exposure. Um, I don't think any one of us are getting away without some exposure to it. It's just the day and age that we're living in. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some people that um, are particularly sensitive and, and some more so than others um, to various uh, environmental toxins. So. so how does one treat this? Like if you have increased cortisol, which clearly Jack and I do <laughs> yeah increase, increase based on our little survey like we're, we're the we integers yeah. where do we begin like yeah well it, it basically what happens is when, when there is this cortisol dysregulation picture it tends to um, deplete a system of some of its sort of basic building blocks whether it be um, vitamins or minerals or amino acids we tend to chew through them um, cortisol is what we call a catabolic hormone so it tears us down brain cells bone mm -hmm. cells um, skin cells you name it. Yeah. It, it, is a, yes. it is a teradone hormone, right? And at a time for the perimenopausal menopausal women, when their, their anabolic hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone tend to be depleting. So it's a bit of a um, perfect storm. A lot of times for women is that they've got the cortisol issue on the one side and the aging process happening on the other side from an ovarian standpoint. Um, but because it is a consumptive process, the ways of managing it often are just proving where the deficiencies are and repleting those um, or correcting for some of the imbalances. Uh, you can sometimes use herbal remedies for that. Um, but it's a lot of the lifestyle modifications as well. One of the things that, that I alluded to earlier is that we tend to normalize a lot of these symptoms, 
right? Mm-hmm. We certainly do. Clearly yeah. we do. Like suck it up. Just yeah. 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 And the thing is that we compare ourselves to other people as well. So, right. If, if Ramona's going that fast, well, you know, I'm not going any faster or, you know, that, that I should therefore be able to be okay. Or um, we compare ourselves to ourselves. So, well, I did that no problem 10 years ago and we just right. keep going at the same pace, right? And failing to recognize that there's actually a physiologic consequence to that. Just because everybody else is going hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. multitasking, right? And, you know, whatever it is that we do, we, we doesn't mean that there isn't a physiologic consequence to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, that's certainly one thing is, is recognizing that we normalize it, but then, um, you know, the, the opposite of that or the, the corollary to that is really working on the self-care aspect of things. Um, and that is, yes, the time out and striking the right balance, but it's also starting to reflect on how do we show up in the world? Yeah. Okay, like why, I just, why? when you're, when you're talking about this, I'm just like looking inward and thinking yes. about over the last year how much I've neglected my own personal health. Like mm-hmm. there is absolutely zero balance in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it can even really go even deeper than that because you know, by the time we get to our age, a lot of our patterns and how we show up and how um, they're really ingrained and we don't even question like, why am I a perfectionist? Why do I think a job is not done until it's done 150%? why do I multitask? Um, you know, and, and the interesting thing is, is that when you really slow down and start to question some of these constructs that we have about how we show up, um, you start to realize that, well, actually those very same things that I think have served me well over the years are actually the very same things that are killing me slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, I think we do talk a lot about as we get older, like the things that you kind of just need to let go. Like, why are we hanging on to this? Like for my, for, for me personally, it's like, so my house isn't clean. Like I'm super anal and I like to have right. a clean house and I can't have a clean house right now. I have right. three other people home with me full time. Like yeah. my house is a disaster. Yeah. It drives me crazy. But it's also one of those things that I just have to let go or I hired some cleaning help and right. that helped, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I so, think we all have those things, right? That we just they're ingrained in us. It's so true. And surrendering what we can't control is such a powerful thing and is so hard to do. I'll say. Right? And it's not just a one-off, oh, I I surrender. (laughs) It's a practice thing. Mm -hmm. That's, I think you're, what you're saying right now, I bet it's going to hit home with so many people because it is true that well, there are a lot of expectations on us as women, especially, you know, we talk about the she session during the pandemic. It's women who are, and I, I know I'm painting that with a broad brush, but it is mostly predominantly women leaving their C-suite positions to care for their kids online um, during this pandemic. And it's all of us, like Ramona and I working from home with husbands working from home, but it's us doing the homeschooling and yeah. figuring crap out and where's the vaccination and you know and we take it on because well I don't know about you but Ramona you're you're anal you've said it I'm not oh yeah yeah I can say that (laughs) but because like and I'm a control freak in my own house so I don't trust anyone else to do it like my mom always said if you want a job done right do it yourself and I 
I have that in my head now. So I'm like, never mind. I'll find us the vaccinations. Never mind. I'll martyr up again and make dinner and lunch and snacks and school and work. Mm -hmm. So we take it on and we don't let go of that. But I agree. Like if you have certain things that you just can't let go of, it is really hard. It's like that exercise where you fall back and pray to God someone catches you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, precisely. And I think, you know, with, with, it's, it's the right time to be doing this because Mm -hmm. otherwise, um, you know, to carry on like this, generally speaking, most women will, you know, what what I was describing is a burnout and it is a crash and burn um, to some degree. But I think what people don't understand is that they can actually feel even worse than what they're actually feeling. Right. So it is is important. And that's the physical body aspect of it. So you have to support the physical body at the same time that people are addressing the mind spirit aspect of of their health. And that's, that's the holistic part of healing is that you really do where where people get well and stay well is when they address the mind spirit aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which a lot of us leave that piece out. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that most people listening to this podcast right now, I would probably guess that about 80% of them um, have tested high on your little survey. So so assuming that there's many of us women out there with these cortisol levels out of whack, like how how do we start, how do we determine that? Like, how do we have a definitive answer? Do we come to you and say like, can we do blood work? Like what is our first course of action? here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, well, I think even if you were to take those questions that I asked right up front, we'll give you a really good indication, you know, of whether you're struggling or not. Um, Is there a way of measuring cortisol levels and doing so accurately? Um, Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways. What I use um, is something called dried urine hormone testing. Mm. And um, that really allows me to look at the diurnal pattern of cortisol release throughout the day. And I find that particularly helpful. I can also look at the metabolites of cortisol, which helps in management. Um, so yeah, there is, there is a way of measuring it. Um, that is a little bit different than the conventional approach, um, which generally is, yes, also urine, but a 24-hour urine um, collection. But what they're looking for is the extremes of disease. So that's mm-hmm. Addison's and Cushing's, right? And mm-hmm. those are serious illnesses. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about um, the middle ground where people are feeling crappy, but mm-hmm. are often told, no, you're fine. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong, but people know, I mean, people know when they're not feeling. Mm-hmm. Of course you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about this because, um, like I've added more confusion to the mix, um, by having all these symptoms that you talked about, like, you know, failing miserably on the test, but because of the pandemic and everything going on too, I asked my doctor to put me on Zoloft And because I just, I've had anxiety for years and years and I didn't realize it was anxiety. It was just this like constant vibration in my stomach, you know, that Mm -hmm. never went away. And, and, and like you said, your tests made me really think about this, like always overwhelmed, anything can overwhelm me. And this started right after I had my daughter who I had later in life in my early forties. So I was probably going through perimenopause at the same time my hormones were letting down and it was the perfect storm for everyone around me. Um, and then, you know, trying to correct that and balance that was impossible because it didn't get any information on that. I, I wasn't diagnosed. It was, you know, sort of like when my period was abnormal and I was reading about it online and spending a lot of money on pregnancy tests, 
which made no sense because I had no libido. So I wasn't having sex. I'm like, how did I get pregnant? But um, now I'm on, you know, uh, on Zoloft and it's helped to calm me down. It's gotten rid of that sort of vibration. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's so, it's such a confusing time. Like, how do we, like Ramona said earlier, how do we like, how do we decipher what is this and what is that and what is a what's happening here and what is environmental factors is yeah, yeah well well it is interesting to, just to go back with your own personal story it is not uncommon after a pregnancy to struggle and that's simply because a pregnancy is so absolutely exhausting to yeah. your body um, right and then often we go into another pregnancy back to back without really recovering in between. And so after a second pregnancy, it's very common for, for me to see this pattern of, um, of um, symptoms. But what also happens in that consumption that, um, that cortisol, as I say, it sort of burns through everything, vitamins, including amino acids. So the amino acids are what we get from protein in our food. But protein, um, when we have cortisol dysregulation, um, we have a tough time with uh, digestion and absorption of proteins into the amino acids. And so therefore, not only are we consuming amino acids, but we're having a hard time replenishing them. Well, amino acids are key because that's what we build every single protein in our body from, including our brain neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. So. Oh. So from a cortisol dysregulation, it is very easy to connect the dots. And it is testing that I do all the time is showing where somebody's amino acid deficiencies are. And so that we can replace those in, um, you know, right down to the five milligram increment in, in customized formulations. And so although the, the Zoloft is working, which is awesome, it's working at a, um, at, a, at a higher level when I, doing what I do now, will always ask the question, okay, but why? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. But why? And so if you keep walking that why often it comes down to is that there is actually a building block deficiency. That's the amino acids are deficient. And usually it's not just a deficiency in one neurotransmitters. Usually it's broad spectrum amino acids and therefore broad spectrum deficiencies in neurotransmitters to varying degrees. So if you give somebody back the building blocks, your body knows exactly what they're supposed to do with them. It just wasn't getting them in the first place or it was you know, depleted really quickly. So, um, you know, there, there's with functional medicine testing, um, there are lots of ways that um, we can measure things that the conventional world doesn't. Um, can we measure amino acids in the conventional world? Yes, in blood we can. But there's, as I say, there's, there's always a bunch of different ways of, that you can look at something. Mm -hmm. And then there are ways that are better. And you can get more detailed information from. And, um, and I think, you know, there's, there's just some limitations when, when you just stick to blood work and just stick to um, imaging. Mm -hmm. So there's no real like one size fits all strategy when we're talking about this. You would need to do these more in depth tests to figure out where the deficiencies are. And in some cases, it could be amino acids. In other cases, it could be something else. So it's better to have like this full picture before mm -hmm. you kind of put a patient on a specific treatment plan, whether that be holistic therapy or, mm -hmm. or other things like that. Yeah. I mean, I would say that there are just like any other um, disease process, there is a pretty predictable um, fallout of mm -hmm. burnout. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, I think it's very reasonable for people to start asking the questions themselves. So, you know what, you know, am I tired when I wake up in the morning? You know, am I waking up between two and 4 a.m.? Do I have an afternoon slump between three and four? Um, am I more irritable? Am I overwhelmed when I didn't used to be? If you start asking you those questions, you'll come up with the answer pretty quickly, whether you have an underlying cortisol issue or not. Um, and really depending on the degree really would dictate, um, you know, whether you could manage it on your own through diet and nutrition. Right. Like recognizing that sometimes um, people have just gone too far down that path. And, mm-hmm. you know, diet and, and modification of lifestyle is perhaps not enough. And if that's the case, you know, if you are doing everything right, um, you know, meaning doing everything that um, we know we're supposed to be doing, yeah. right? Exercising, right? And, yeah. um, and sleeping and all that sort of stuff, and you're still struggling. Uh, then yeah, you may very well want to get a uh, practitioner involved, whether it be an integrative practitioner or a naturopath um, is sort of the most logical in in this particular hormone um, conversation um, or a practitioner like myself. But it, it uh, there are a lot of ways that we can start digging um, mm-hmm. to find out what somebody's specific um, weak links are in their system, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, for me, it might be thyroid. For you, it might be the gastrointestinal tract. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, but there tends to be there tends to be a um, a predictable pattern. It's mm-hmm. just okay. So how much was one system impacted more than the other? And that's where the objective testing um, becomes very handy because if we can prove where somebody's deficiencies or imbalances are, well, then we can target it and um, you know more efficiently deal with the issue instead of just sort of guessing at mm-hmm. uh, what somebody's problem is. I remember a really great rule of thumb that I heard years ago probably 20 years ago, and I was living out in British Columbia. And since I came back, I remembered this rule, and I was very surprised that um, with this in my mind when I would go to my my doctor or my GP or my OB-GYN about my issues when I was perimenopausal and didn't know it, they all told me, it is what it is. It's probably perimenopause, like just go through it sort of thing. But I remember I had a great doctor at West who said to me, when your body's healthy, you feel great. As soon as you start to feel pain in any area or a change, that is your body telling you something is wrong. And yet I would go to my doctor and say, well, something is wrong because all of a sudden I'm crazy or I'm lethargic or I'm having an ache or pain. And they're like, no, can't find anything. So therefore it's nothing. And Ramona and I both know that for me that led down a terrible path for me to some atrophy. So sex has become almost impossible. And now I have to sort of go back and course correct it with no help from, you know, from that area of medicine. So there was something wrong and I did listen to my body and then I was told to dismiss it. Yeah. So I think women should keep that in mind when they are going through perimenopause. Like what, what should we not be ignoring? And Really? Yeah, it's very true. And it's, it's unfortunately um, all too common um, that I hear that. I mean, generally speaking, you know, I'm, you know, the third, fourth, fifth doctor that somebody's seen or they've been to see, you know, various other practitioners and um, end up on, on our doorstep for whatever reason. And, you know, I do think that there are certainly ways of managing this using a conventional approach. Um, but I also think that there are many things that um, get overlooked or not understood, or there are limitations to our testing. And um, yeah, and so that's, that's really, if we circle back to what I was saying in the beginning is 
it was very obvious to me that there was a gap in the conventional approach because otherwise, um, you know, I would have, I would have healed myself with my, with what I knew from medical school, but I couldn't, I still felt like crap. Mm. And, mm. and so I think that's where for me sort of out of desperation, I had to take the blinders off and recognize that there were other types of um, medicine that were practiced around the world and for thousands of years longer than yeah. <laughs> what we've been doing you know, in, in Western medicine um, and, and are making an impact. And so, you know, for me, again, you know, physician heal thyself, I, um, I was eventually um, out, of, out of frustration, out of desperation, <laughs> went and saw a naturopath and traditional Chinese medicine doctor all on the same morning. <laughs> Right on. Type A personality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really trying to get to the bottom of it, uh, and they came to the same it. conclusion. Right, yeah. and and that conclusion was um, again this this cortisol dysregulation, and um, so yeah, I, I completely appreciate that um, that there are some shortcomings, and it's not obviously that the doctors aren't wanting to help, but um, you know if if you're limited in in what you can tackle or or what you can see with the tools that you have, then sometimes you'll fall short. Do some of the symptoms of deregulated cortisol um, like mimic the symptoms in perimenopause and menopause? Mm. Like, like, is it safe to say that maybe some of the symptoms that women might be feeling that are connected to perimenopause are actually because of their cortisol levels, which again, I know kind of cycle, mm -hmm. it's a bit of a cycle if the cortisol yeah. is affecting that. But I was yeah. just curious, I wonder like, if you get your cortisol regulated, does it mean you have a less symptomatic um, journey through menopause i guess a thousand percent if there was really one thing that you could do yeah if there was one thing you could do to transition as smoothly through menopause it would be get your your adrenals and your cortisol um in check yeah without question one of the most common symptoms that really requires more teasing out to appreciate um, you know, which is it coming from? Is it perimenopausal or is it cortisol dysregulation? Is hot flashes. Hot flashes yes. are not always low estrogen. Oh. And in fact, I would say that um, often, like really often, um, it's cortisol. So if you're waking up first thing in the morning with a giant hot flash, or even a subtle hot flash for that matter, um, but if you're waking up in the first thing in the morning with a hot flash, um, or you're waking between 2 and 4 a.m. with a hot flash, or if it's after um, caffeine or alcohol or a stressful event, those tend to be cortisol hot flashes. Um, the oh. low estrogen ones tend to be more willy-nilly. There's no rhyme nor reason to them. Can people have both? Absolutely. But you'll go a long way in, in correcting um, some of those hot flashes if you work on the adrenal piece. So when women are having hot flashes, it would be a really great idea for them to sort of document the circumstances around that, right? Mm -hmm. I wish I had known that because I always wondered if it was related to something. I knew that it was related to alcohol because alcohol becomes an accelerant and can really mess with the hot flashes. Mm -hmm. But there would be like, you know, times where I had nothing to do with alcohol or it just happened and, and I'd feel it in my stomach and my back and I'd be on fire. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, such an uncomfortable feeling too, hey? 
it is. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's very hard to like sit through it and pretend it's not mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. 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 I'm curious too, when we did our survey and you asked about the brain fog piece, because that's the one, like, I didn't really suffer through a lot of hot flashes or anything, but I still suffer through brain fog and have for years. And it, I hate it. It plagues me. I try various things. So I'm really curious now (laughs) if I checked out my cortisol, if it would at least help a bit, like, Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the foggy thinking, um, sort of simply put, tends to stem from a deficiency in coenzyme Q10, which oh. if, if you remember back to grade 10 biology and the Krebs yeah. cycle and ATP production, yeah, um, as we age, our coenzyme Q10 tends to um, deplete. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's sort of ways in order to, um, to dose and, and replace coenzyme Q10, but age is one of them. Stress is another. Yeah. Um, and then any of the statin uh, medications for lowering cholesterol will reduce coenzyme Q10. So that's always a pretty easy place to start. Um, often as a quick fix, it's not usually the only thing that's happening because again, you have to question the why. So why is the, the CoQ10 on the low side? Mm-hmm. And again, that's where you start. Okay. So is it aged? Are you on a statin? Um, you know, is there a stress-related phenomena going on here? But basically, for every um, decade beyond 50, you have 100 milligrams of CoQ10. Um, with stress, you add another 100. And if you're on a statin, you add another 100. Wow. And so I think I actually have some at home that I, I got to check. I think it's CoQ10 that I'm mm-hmm. taking. I remember taking but it to really try to get pregnant for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so that feeds into that whole energy cycle. It's, it is a little bit more complicated than that, but at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. foggy thinking is probably one of the most common complaints that I see walking through the door. And can it be, can it be perimenopausal and can it be menopausal? Yep. But most of the time it's a cortisol issue. Mm -hmm. Wow. So women can really benefit from checking these things out. And then, you know, this is our this is the whole point of She 2.0. We don't want menopause to suck. And we actually think it doesn't really have to. Just we need no. to listen and understand our bodies and go to see people like you who understand our bodies outside of traditional medicine because that's not where we're getting the answers. So mm-hmm. if someone books an appointment with you, do they do like a journal before they come in that talks about their food and uh, keeps track of their worst symptoms maybe and like, you know, what, what sort of external factors are impacting those or like, Mm -hmm. how does that work? Yeah. It's always really great to check in with yourself so that you can identify your own patterns. That is very helpful to us. Um, But we also have um, our, all of our patients fill in an online questionnaire that probably takes about half an hour to complete. And it asks a lot of really nitty gritty questions Mm -hmm. like, you know, are you missing care on the other outer side of your calves or are you missing you know your eyebrows the other third of your eyebrows or you know <laughs> some of these questions people are like oh yeah but I never I never thought about that like what does that mean so um, and then based on how they've answered their questionnaire it um, auto populates a symptom profile graph so that at a glance the patient can see oh okay yeah I see the cortisol is an issue or thyroid's an issue or the gastrointestinal tract um, now I understand why these practitioners are wanting to explore all of these issues when I just thought that I was coming in 
because I am perimenopausal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it um, to, to yes to collect that data, and we do um, do diet journals and temperature protocols, and there's a bunch of various things um, that go beyond the um, objective testing that we get that, that patients can do at home. But yeah, we collect a lot of data points on our patients, and when you've got that bigger picture, um, it allows you to connect the dots and then come up with a treatment plan that is, um, you know, the most efficient, the most practical, um, and the most targeted. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I had a question and now it like totally, we're going to have <laughs> to edit fog. this part out. <laughs> I have brain fog. Oh, yes. What I was going to say was, so we've covered, um, like the brain fog, um, and, and how cortisol can, you know, mimic a lot of typical symptoms around perimenopause and menopause. Um, we're going to talk about urogenital uh, dysfunction in our part two with you, which mm-hmm. we're really excited about because right. that one I think needs a lot more time. And, yes. and But is there anything else before we sort of wrap up here um, when we're talking about cortisol and menopausal symptoms that it may mimic? Is there anything else that we haven't covered outside of the urogenital dysfunction, which we'll talk about later? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the other ones are most commonly identified, um, you know, with the, the uh, perimenopausal bleeding patterns that we typically see. I mean, I think, you know, safe to say that periods are meant to be regular, they're meant to be um, a manageable flow. There's all sorts of definitions around that. Um, but if things are starting to change, uh, which does typically start to happen in our 40s, that's probably a good in- indicator that you need to come in and get things figured out. Because, um, it's really no surprise that we, in our, our 50s, end up with some health issues uh, that are related to hormonal imbalances. So, for example, breast cancer um, mm-hmm. shows up in our 50s often because we just spent our 40s in a vulnerable state. Yes. Hormonally, yeah. right? And so if we can sort of correct course early on, whether it be through dealing with cortisol, because cortisol impacts the immune system. We need mm-hmm. an intact immune system in order to um, not only fight infections, but to correct for um, various mutations that we get. So, you know, whether it's working on cortisol or it's working on the imbalance between estrogen and progesterone that naturally happens, um, in our forties, I think, you know, that, um, can go a long way in, um, again, helping, helping women transition through, through perimenopause into menopause. Um, but just generally speaking from a prevention standpoint, there is a lot of power in that. This is like, totally blown my mind. I'm so glad that like the, just the whole cortisol piece is just, it's so interesting. And I think a lot of women are going to get like a ton out of this episode because, you know, the one thing we often talk about too, we've mentioned it so many times is women within this age range where you start, you are going to start seeing those symptoms um, is, you know, during at the most stressful times of their lives, where they're at their height of their careers, they're, you know, taking care of family, whether it, you know, aging parents or children at home, um, and doing all the multitasking crap that we all do. And now living through a pandemic, like, there's so many things that are like around us right now that could be affecting our court, like the stress level here. Like, it's like, I, I just, I hope that people listening like 
you know, I hope this helps them because man, I am like, we are talking after this. Cause this is like, <laughs> this is like blowing my mind. Yeah. There's so many women that I talk to even outside of our podcast who are in that sort of sweet spot for the perimenopausal age group who, you know, you, and I went through this too. And Ramona, I think, I'm not sure how you felt about it, but I would notice small things that were changing, but I would never associate them with perimenopause, mainly out of denial, but also because um, there seems to be a big gap in knowledge of what perimenopause is. And I think we sort of grew up thinking we go from our last period right into menopause and we don't realize there's this transition transitory period that can last like for a decade almost, but um, sleep is the huge one. And I noticed this in the circle of women I, I talked to and we're all throwing magnesium and melatonin and dream mm-hmm. water at the problem thinking, you know, we just have to, you know, I took CBD and THC to sleep, which helped, but the problem is CBD or sorry, THC sometimes would heighten my anxiety, which was another uh, symptom, which wasn't related to sleep. So then I had to find something to you know, alleviate that symptom. And I feel like we're throwing a ton of supplements and pills at the problem when really what we have to do is come see you, figure out, do this test and find out, you know, where, what is the root of the problem instead of, you know, trying to go after all the little branches. Yeah, agreed. And right. And everything that you just listed there um, is measurable. And so if you've got a, you know, red blood cell magnesium deficiency well then we know how to dose to get you up into the right range without you you know not taking enough taking too much yeah (laughs) taking the right you know the wrong type of magnesium um you know melatonin every hormone melatonin is a hormone as well every hormone wants to be balanced and so whether it's over replacement or under um for a hormone often creates the same symptoms so women for example are very sensitive to melatonin Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most over the counter, you can only get five milligrams. Well, most women only need half a milligram to a milligram and a half. And so yeah. what happens if you're getting too much, you wake up a couple of hours into sleep as though you've had a crappy dream. Yes. And, oh. and I've heard that about melatonin too. It, it only sort of cycles you through one sleep cycle. Whereas I think magnesium is more for the whole evening, but you don't feel the impact as much. But I, I would agree with you. Like I've definitely OD'd on melatonin thinking I'm going to take two because I want to kick ass sleep tonight. (laughs) And then I wake up at 2 a.m. and I'm like, what the actual, like I am (laughs) catastrophizing my life. This sucks. I'm going to sue someone at Shopper's Drug Mart. So (laughs) people really like, we are going for those quick remedies and the pill we can take every night or, or like medicating with wine or things that relax us, not even understanding what they're actually doing. Like if we are already depleted in the things that you've talked about, then we're throwing things in there that are probably, like you said, complicating that problem. Yes. Absolutely. And that's the classic example. The, the caffeine and alcohol we use to self-medicate. And yeah, absolutely. those are barriers to healing from an adrenal perspective. So we're, we're actually setting ourselves back, even though in the short term, it does what we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, that was an eye-opener. Um, we've learned a lot, Ramona and I, through yes. you know, season one, two, and now three. But this one, I have to say... Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Prowse. I can't wait um, for episode two with you. Um, and yeah, we'll yeah. see you again. Okay. Well, thanks so very much for having me. As I say, I enjoy talking hormones. I could do it all night long if you let me. <laughs> <laughs>